All right. Hey, everybody. So good to see you. And I want to say hi to Legacy, but also our other campuses, too, other locations at Woodbridge, Richardson, Sloan Creek, in Espanol, uh, wherever you are, if you're watching online right now. Uh, we are going to finish today our Shadow Side series. Before we do, I think it's okay. It's time now to say Merry Christmas, right? I mean, Thanksgiving's behind us. Now we're all about Christmas. In fact, this week is kind of the transition week in our series from uh, from now on, it's all about Christmas uh, as we get through that. And and what that one of the things that means before we jump into our sermon, just like your campus pastor or campus host uh, just talked about, is it, it really is the best time right now in our culture to invite people who don't go to church to go to church. I mean, we intentionally do church in a way that makes it as easy as possible to invite our friends who run church, who don't go to church, to be able to connect with God. But Christmas is a time more than any other where people are open, not only open to coming to church, but often even thinking, man, that would be great, or even looking, but don't exactly know. It's kind of intimidating. Like, where would I start? Where would I go? Um, Including people who grew up in this culture and certainly people from other cultures who have moved here. So it is a a great time to invite. And you can do that through social media, uh, you know, following Facebook or uh, Instagram, whatever, on, on Chase Oak social media and sharing it. But even more powerful is a personal invitation of saying, hey, come sit with me. And and as you're thinking about who you want to invite, I'm just going to ask you a favor. So when you came in today, you got a three by five card. And here's what I want you to do with that three by five card. Go ahead and pull it out. There's a pen around you. And just as part of the preparation for me spiritually for this service, I want to be able to pray for every single person that we're inviting, uh, whether they come or not. Just as the people that God's laid on your heart say, you know, it'd be great to extend an invitation to this person or this person to come sit with me kind of a thing. Um, I, I want to know who they are so so I can pray for them. And all I need is their first name. I don't need their last name and address and story. I just need just their first name. And uh, and that way, uh, I, along with other uh, people involved, it'll just give us the opportunity to make that super personal as we pray for each person. And God's going to use it. It's going to be an incredible time. And I, I can't wait for those services. And it is Christmas season. And, oh, and by the way, when you leave, uh, there's baskets in, at, the, at the lobbies that you can place them in. Um, so being Christmas season, for some of us, that's really happy, joyful. I mean, it's a great time of year. And others, though, it can be a difficult time of year. So some people may be like, oh, man, it's so awesome, my favorite time of year. Others, yeah, normally. But, but right now, you're just having a hard time feeling it. You know, you want to be all fa-la-la-la-la and ho-ho-ho and scooby-dooby-doo and whatever. But you're just having a hard time getting there and for a variety of reasons. But one of those may be because of what we're talking about today, and that is doubt in our shadow side series, because doubt can be like a heavy, dark cloud that just sort of looms over us. It can be doubt caused by intellectual questions about the whole thing, you know, just with the faith. But it can certainly be a dark cloud when we find ourselves disappointed in life or unanswered prayers, or maybe you're going through things right now that you just think, how could that possibly line up with a good God? How could I be joyful? And then God's allowing this, and this is happening in my life. I mean, doubt can be really kind of crippling in, in that way, and all the way from crippling to just kind of nagging. And, and it can be worse if you grew up in church, because uh, some of you may have grown up in a church where you weren't really allowed to at least express doubt because doubt was seen as a violation of faith. It was like doubt was the opposite of faith. 
And so if you had doubt, it means you don't have faith or it was like a challenge to people and people wouldn't handle it very well. And so you just learn to just kind of shove faith down because, you know, that's like I, I can't do that as a person of faith. People of faith don't doubt. Um, or maybe you didn't grow up in church and you're kicking the tires of Christianity and figuring it all out. And you feel like, well, I've got to I've got to resolve all my doubts, all my que- unanswered questions, stuff. I've got to resolve all that before I can believe because, you know, doubt and belief don't work together. But today, as we look at the shadow side of doubt, what we're going to see is that, no, actually, doubt is part of the faith experience. It's not antithetical to the faith experience. It's built in. It's it's part of it. In fact, our big point today is this, that doubt can propel us toward Jesus. It's one of the big propellants if we handle it well or repel us from Jesus, depending on what we do with it, depending on how we handle it. Yeah, it's kind of like these magnets. Um, these are magnets. And I don't know if you've ever played with magnets. If you haven't, I'll leave them down on the stage. You can come play with them uh, here at Legacy. You may have to truck over here from whatever campus you're at. Um, and because with magnets, right, if you if you turn them a certain way, they attract. But if you turn them another way because it reverses the polarity, you can't put them together. Right. You ever played with magnets right there? You know, you, you can try, but it's just not going to go together. It's going to be they're going to repel each other. And doubts are a lot like that. If we go through doubt a certain way, it will actually connect us closer to God. Or if we go with them another way, it will be a repellent of that. It will send us the other way. And so today what we're going to talk about is what do we do with our doubts? And since we're church, right, we're going to talk about, well, how do I deal with doubt in a way that is part of my faith journey and that actually links me closer to God? And to do that, we're going to look at a character in the Bible who was famous for being a doubter. You know, it's kind of like uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, you know, Jesus and the disciples. You can think of them like that because each of the dwarves had different personalities, right? You had, what, grumpy and goofy and happy and sleepy and sneezy and all that. The disciples were kind of like that. They had different personalities. And today we're going to focus on one of the disciples that was known for his doubting. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you might know who it was. Who was it? Thomas, right? We're going to talk about doubting Thomas, which is a little bit unfair that we call him doubting Thomas, as we're going to see. Um, I mean, all of heaven, I guess he's had to deal with that every time somebody new comes to heaven and knows his story. It's like, oh, yeah, you're doubting Thomas. He's like, really? You know, again. But because uh, we're going to Thomas was actually a, a really strong Christ follower. He's a person of great faith who also had doubts and shows us what to do with doubts as we're going to as we're going to see today, because Thomas was just one of those people that more the way God wired him, more analytical, more skeptical by nature, a little more pessimistic. Right. Some people are not like that. Some of it like you could divide this room that way. Some of you are the opposite of that. Some of you are very trusting in fact, salespeople love you because you just believe them, you know, and I'm one of you. I'm like you. And you're optimistic. You think everything is going to work out great and everything can happen. But then there are others of you who are much more analytical, which means you'll think much more deeply. It doesn't make you less spiritual. God made you that way. To get, you'll think more deeply and, and all that, but just a little more skeptical, a little more pessimistic. In fact, you can divide, like I said, you can divide the world, divide the room that way. In fact, here's one statistic. 58% of human beings are bent more towards the skeptical, pessimistic way. Now, when you look at that number, that stat, those of you who are highly trusting, look at that and think, oh, that's really a cool stat. 
Um, those of you who are more skeptical are looking at that thinking, how does anybody know that? Like, where did they get that? And, and you'd be right to think that way because I totally made that up. Uh, it does, that's not real. Um, I have no idea. Um, I mean, you know that 70% of all statistics are made up anyway, right? Um, and I made that up too. But Thomas was just one of those rational, skeptical guys. And, but he shows us he is a Jesus follower and he shows us what to do with our doubts in a way that propels us in our faith. It, it's so cool. And so we're going to see a couple of stories in his life. And the first one we'll stop at briefly and then get to the one that really earns him his nickname, Doubting Thomas. But, but the first one is interesting too. So the first story happens toward the end of Jesus's ministry. Jesus, one of the, I mean, Thomas, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus traveling around with him everywhere. It's toward the end of Jesus's ministry and in Jerusalem, which was the capital of everything. And that's where the religious leaders were also really in large part, the political leaders as well. They had a lot of power and they want Jesus dead. And the disciples know that like they want Jesus dead. They want the disciples dead. They want to crush the whole thing. And so at this point, the disciples and Jesus are way away from Jerusalem, the danger zone. And they're very happy about that. Like they don't want to go to Jerusalem because it's a dangerous place to be. There are people out to get them who have a lot of power. So they're way away from that. But then Jesus hears that one of his friends who lives really close to Jerusalem in kind of a suburb of Jerusalem, a guy named Lazarus is sick and, uh, and, and will actually die. And so Jesus says, hey, we're going to go and we're going to go to Jerusalem, essentially. We're going to go to that suburb because Lazarus is sick. And, and at that point, he'd even died. And Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. It's a cool story in the Bible. But so he says, hey, we're going to go. Well, the disciples wouldn't have been that thrilled. And here's what Thomas, how he enters into the picture. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus. Didymus is Greek, Greek version of Thomas, Aramaic or Hebrew name. It means twin. So he must have had a twin said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, if that Peter had said that, it would have been like a really positive, like noble, let's die with him. Thomas, no. Uh, when he, and it, even the way it's structured, uh, this is basically what Thomas is saying is, hey, you know what? This is a really stupid plan to go to Jerusalem, to go to the dangerous spot. But if we're going to die, we might as well do it together. So let's go. We might as well just die with him. Why not? That's time. I love that that kind of stuff's in the Bible, too. But he's like, hey, let's just die. It's a pessimistic statement. It's a statement of doubt. He doesn't like the plan. Feels like it's a stupid plan. But you know what Thomas does with his doubt? And this is really instructive. Is he goes anyway. He doesn't let his doubt cripple his ability to follow Jesus, even though he's got a lot of unanswered questions. He brings his doubt with him. Which is what people of faith do. People of faith, it's not like they don't have doubts. But we, if you imagine like baggage, he had a lot of it. Some of you had a little, bit, a little of it. You just say, you know what? I'm not going to let that get me stuck. It's not like I have to resolve all my doubts before I can move forward. And if you're in a spiritual search and all that, and you'll never get there. Or even as a believer, it doesn't mean like, okay, I get all my questions answered, all the stuff figured out, and then I can move. That'll just get you stuck. People of faith make a choice, and it's a choice. I'm going to trust Jesus enough. I know enough. I'm going to trust him enough that I'm just going to bring my doubts and questions with me. Because doubt is actually part of faith. That's what makes it faith. 
We're not talking about certainty. We're not talking about knowledge. We're talking about faith. And the fact that it's not knowledge and faith means that there's unanswered questions and lots of doubts. It's just the nature of faith. Doubt is part of the faith experience. Let me illustrate that. So in this envelope, um, I have a $20 bill. Okay, now how many, just raise your hand, how many of you believe me that I have a $20 bill in the envelope? Not very many. Okay, this is a Thomas kind of crowd. All right, that's fine. But I need a believer in the envelope thing, right? If you raised your hand, I need you to, I need a volunteer to come up really quick to the stage so it didn't take long and then you miss, you know, your reservation at Luby's or whatever. Okay, here, okay, yeah, come on up. Let's welcome her to the stage. Yeah, welcome her. She's, that's bold. That's brave. <laughs> so I know I'm a pastor, everything, and you came to church, and, uh, but I might destroy your faith. Is that okay? Um, should I destroy your faith? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now here, here it is. I'm just gonna. I'll give you the envelope, and and you believe there's twenty dollars in it. See what's in there. There's twenty dollars in there. All right. That's great. And it's yours. And the reason it's yours is because I just destroyed your faith. And here's how I destroyed your faith. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, I'm gonna give it to you because uh, you don't have faith anymore. You have knowledge. I mean, you know there's twenty dollars in there, so your faith is gone. It's certainty. It's knowledge. You have no more faith. You have certainty, right? You have knowledge that it's there. And uh, so I destroyed your faith. So, hey, come, come, to, come to Chase Oaks. We'll destroy your faith. All right. Let's uh, No, I'm going to give it to you. Let's thank, thank her for that. But you get the point, right? There's a difference between faith and knowledge. Paul in the New Testament talks about that. He says that when knowledge comes, faith goes away. Why? Because we have knowledge. Like it's not about it's not faith anymore. It's knowledge. Now, Paul talks about that further in first Corinthians 13. He says it this way. He says now and by now he means between now and when Jesus returns in this broken, messed up world we live in. One day Jesus will return, the Bible says, and he will. The world won't be broken anymore. He'll make the world right. We'll be in heaven. It'll be awesome. We'll know all the stuff that are confusing now won't be confusing then. But in the meantime, lots of confusion and unanswered questions. He says, now we see, but a poor reflection of things. He, and there literally he's talking, the word he's using is a mirror, like a really bad mirror. A mirror that's foggy, that's broken, that you can hardly see. It's like a smoky mirror. And you're trying to discern reality in this world and the troubles in this world and all the unanswered questions and prayers and all that. And we're trying to figure, why did that happen? How did that? And we're trying to piece it together by looking at things through a really cruddy mirror. That's life now. So we'll have lots of questions, confusions, all that. But then we will see face to face. No more looking through a mirror. We'll see Jesus face to face. We'll see reality face to face. We'll see everything for what it is. We'll be like, ah, oh, but not now. So Paul says, now I know in part. I mean, I know some things, but there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot of questions that are unanswered. A lot of confusions that are still there. But then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. That's the nature of the journey we're on right now, between now and when Jesus comes back. It is a faith journey, which means doubt is part of it. Doubt is not antithetical to faith. Doubt is part of the faith experience. I love the way that this uh, F. Dale Bruner, who writes a book about faith and doubt, says this. The Christian faith is bipolar. Disciples live their lives between worship and doubt, trusting and questioning, hoping and worrying. That is a faith experience. 
And Thomas shows us that he, he, was a, he was a solid, strong, faithful Jesus follower who had serious doubts. Because that's the nature of a faith experience. That's the nature of a faith journey. In fact, you could argue that the only people who can doubt are believers. Because that's what doubt is. It's doubting what we believe. Doubting is evidence that we don't believe. It's actually the other way around. But as we walk in this life, there's just a lot we're not going to understand, a lot we're not going to know. And you and I can choose to get stuck. We can choose to go the other way. Or we can allow it to continue our faith journey with Jesus. And that's what Thomas does. And we're going to see that even more in the next story. It's like the big story in Thomas's life that gets his name, nickname, Doubting Thomas. The last story happened toward the end of Jesus's ministry. This one at the very end of Jesus's ministry. So it happens after the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus is crucified on a Friday and the disciples, for every one of them, they all of a sudden were filled with 100 percent doubt. Because they couldn't imagine how the one they believed to be God in human form, Jesus, could possibly die. That, that was not, like, how could they, that happen? And so they see him die, and their hopes and faith and all that kind of die with it. All, they just are full of doubt. They huddle together in this room called the upper room. They've got the doors locked because they're afraid that the authorities that killed Jesus, arrested him and killed him, are looking for them. They're probably right. And so they're hiding and they're scared and all that's going on. That's Friday. On Sunday morning, they're still there. But on Sunday morning, they hear about these ladies, some friends of theirs who were Jesus followers, who had gone to the tomb of Jesus to finish burial stuff of Jesus's body. They go and they, and they come back and they're like, hey, the tomb was empty. Not only that, we saw this angel there who told us that Jesus isn't dead and alive. And then we saw Jesus like Jesus is alive. And Peter and John, two of the disciples, are like, what? And she's like, huh? And, they, and so they go, and they, I should write the Bible. And they, they, <laughs> they run to the tomb, and sure enough, they find it empty. They come back to the disciples that huddled in the other room, like, yeah, man, it was empty. And then Jesus appears. And Jesus is like with them, hangs out with them. And they're able to see him, touch him, the whole deal. And it's like the envelope thing. In that moment, they go from faith to knowledge. It's not about Hey, I wonder or I believe like they know because he's right there. They're able to see him, touch him, all that. So that was really cool. And they know not only that he's resurrected, but that proves that he's God in human form. Like he is God. He rose from the dead. He defeated death. And so they they're they're all in. The problem with Thomas is he wasn't there. We don't know why he wasn't there, uh, but he was AWOL. He wasn't there at that moment when Jesus comes and appears to everybody. Maybe they'd send him out to get lunch or something. And it was on a Sunday, he went out, maybe he tried Chick-fil-A, and he's like, oh, always forget it's closed. And then, and so he went to Whataburger, which is a good, another a good choice too. And he, and he, you know, bring him back to Whataburger, and he's like, oh man, did I miss anything? I'm like, yeah. And then here's the story. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. He told him the whole story. But again, he's not one of those easy to believe people. He's a little harder to believe kind of person. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He's just saying, look, good for you. I mean, that's cool. You had that experience. But until I have that experience, until I can see him, until I can touch him, 
put my hands in his hand, put my finger in his hands, my hand in his side. I saw what happened. I just, I'm not in yet. Now, what's cool to me about that, and this is so helpful for us in our faith journey, if we're going to go through doubt in a way that leads us to Jesus, is this. He's authentic. He's not faking it till he made it. Like he, he didn't act like he had it together more than he did. And that Jesus had created a community among his disciples, among the 12, where it was okay to be authentic, encouraged to be authentic. They don't shame him. They don't make fun of him. They don't be like, really? They don't do that. They're just like, okay, we get it. Just keep hanging on. Jesus had cultivated an environment where authenticity was honored, where you could just say, I don't buy it. And that'd be okay. And that's a Jesus kind of community. And at Chase Oaks, it is so important that we continue to cultivate authentic community where all of us, it's not about faking it. It's not about acting we're better than we are or that we don't have these questions or doubt. It, environments where we can just say, you know what? I'm glad you're all excited, but I got some issues this Christmas or I got problems. Right? I've got some questions that I don't understand. I've got some things I've been praying for. I don't get it. Where we can just be authentic and real with each other so that we can encourage each other and help each other. And not only that, that's what God wants from us. He wants authentic faith, not plastic faith, not fake faith. He wants authenticity. One of the ways you can know that is read the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Psalms is this really cool book. It's the biggest book in the Bible. It's in the middle of the Bible. So if you just open up your Bible, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it opens up naturally to Psalms because it's kind of in the middle. And Psalms, what they are is all these worship songs. Like we sing worship songs. We did at all our campuses today. And those are great. You know, you sing these worship songs. That's what those are, Psalms. They were in Old Testament worship in the temple. God liked them so much he put them in the Bible. But a lot of them are look like terrible worship songs. I mean, we would never sing them because here's how they, uh, some of them are. Like somebody like David, they were written by different people. David wrote a lot of them. So sometimes there are things like this, just him expressing doubt. So he'll say, uh, you know, God, I know you're in control and you're supposed to be good at everything, but how come all the bad people, their life's great. And all the people who are really trying to be good, you're letting them down and their life's terrible. I don't get it. Isn't that a terrible worship song? I mean, can you imagine, you know, singing that? Like, you know, all this stuff. I mean, you're really. But, but God looks at it and he's like, let's put that in the Bible. I like that one. And why does he like it? Because it's authentic. It's real. And he understands it. And when we go to God with our doubts and our questions and our troubles and whatever, that honors him. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a faith move. He was able to be authentic. He was able to keep moving forward. But it gets even better and we learn even more in what happens next in the story. So it goes on like that for a week. So notice, Thomas doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't leave. He's right there with him. He's authentic with his doubts. And then Jesus does show up a week later. A week later, so that next Sunday, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. He's like... I'm not going anywhere. You go to Whataburger. I'm like staying here. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, the whole point of this visit was Thomas. 
Jesus knew Thomas wasn't there the first time. He knew Thomas is struggling. And we know exactly, and he knew exactly what he was struggling with because here's what he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Just like he said, right? Unless I put my finger in his hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now notice a couple of things about this. Um, first of all, he, I mean, he zeroes in on Thomas. Who brings out Thomas's doubt and the whole need to touch, to believe and all that and see to believe? Who brings that up? Jesus does. Why? Because Jesus already knew it. He knew exactly what was in Thomas's heart, which is another reason to be authentic with God, because God already knows what's in our heart. I mean, why try to fake him out? Right. I mean, we don't have to make ourselves look better to God. He knows exactly what's going on. But notice also, he doesn't shame Thomas for it. When he greets him, he says, peace be with you. He doesn't say, Thomas, you big dummy. Like, really? <laughs> I mean, I appear to the women. I appear to the disciples. You know, I mean, and you can't believe. I mean, give me a break, dude. He doesn't do that. In fact, his greeting, peace be with you. And that culture was was the warmest greeting you could give. It was like it was a greeting of warmth. It was a greeting of family. It was a it was it was not a shaming thing. And, and notice he, he just says, hey, I, I'm just going to give you what you need. If you need to touch me, I get it. Come here. Come on. I'll, I'll give you what you need if that's what you need. And for Thomas, he didn't need that at that point. So here's what we read next. Oh, shoot. I forgot this. He tells him, stop. So forget that. But he says, stop doubting and believe. Now, that can that can look like a like a slap on the wrist a little bit. It's not and, and the way it's the way it's written in English, the way it's translated is not bad. It's good. You know, our English Bibles are translated from Greek and um, which was the original language of the New Testament. And it's just really, really hard to bring out the Greek here in this passage into an English translation. So we're just going to go Greek today. All right. Because literally, this is what is what Jesus said. These are Greek words. He said, don't become a pistos, but pistos. That doesn't mean angry. <laughs> it sounds like that. Um, pistos. It, um, you're like, did he just say that? Um, don't become a pistos, but pistos. Pistos is the Greek word for faith. In Greek, when you want to make the opposite of something, it's easy. All you got to do is put A in front of it, and that becomes the opposite. So it's faith and unfaith. Like the Cowboy football game, Cowboy game Thursday night, you have football, but that was a football. All right? That was, and that made us a little pissed off. But, okay, so <laughs> I'm glad I didn't say that out loud. So pissed off is faith. A pissed off is unfaith. Here's what Jesus is saying. That, that the way we go through doubt, kind of like the magnet thing, right? The, the way we go through doubt will either help us in our journey toward pistos, greater faith, or it will repel us from that and will, it'll make us go to unfaith, depending on what we do with our doubts. That's a, like there's a decision we can make. We're either going to go this way or faith or unfaith. That's the whole point of this talk. Right. Doubt can propel us toward Jesus or repel us from Jesus, depending on what we do with it. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, he's the one that betrayed Jesus. He allowed his doubts. He had the same doubts Thomas did. He allowed his doubts to lead to unfaith. Thomas, Jesus is saying, don't let that happen to you. 
be authentic with your doubts. Cool. Got it. But deal with them in a way that leads to greater faith. And Thomas makes that decision. And we know that because of what he says next. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He didn't have to touch Jesus. With just that offer and he sees him, he says, my Lord and my God. Now, that was the strongest statement of faith a Jewish person like Thomas could have made 2000 years ago. In fact, if if you were Thomas or anybody like that growing up in that culture 2000 years ago and you made that statement to another human being, looked at them and said, my Lord and my God. You could be stoned to death for that because it was blasphemy. Except it was true. And Thomas knows it's true. That he's not only risen from the dead, but this is literally God. The creator. Come in human form. And all of it comes together for Thomas. Again, he, he doesn't have faith anymore. He has knowledge. In, in this statement of faith, even though Thomas would have doubts, certainly as he goes, but that characterizes life. We call him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas actually became the strongest faith believer of all the 12 disciples in this way. You know, they, Jesus left them with a mission to take the good news of Jesus and to start churches all over the world and reach the world. Thomas, uh, through historical sources, some of them are good, some of them not so good, but you piece it together. We can be confident of this, that Thomas took the message of Jesus farther than any of the other disciples in really difficult places, but went all the way to India. Some of you are from India. And, and you may know that, that Thomas started churches in India, took him farther than anybody. He also died for his faith. The details are fuzzy and contradictory, but we can be confident uh, through history that, yep, he indeed died as a martyr. He died for his faith. He was so confident he died for it. That was Thomas. He allowed his doubts to propel his faith. But then Jesus, this is so cool because he talks about you, talks about me. Then Jesus told Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus was looking at Thomas and I think really all the disciples and saying, look, you, you're privileged because you can see me right now. The resurrected Jesus, you, you can touch me. So, yeah, you see me and you believe like it's like the envelope thing, right? You don't even it's not even about faith anymore. You, you have knowledge. Like, you know, but then he says, blessed or happy, blessed are those who are able to believe without seeing. And that's where you and I live, right? We can't see the risen Jesus. He's not going to come into our house and allow us to touch his hands and his side and all that kind of stuff. Right. So Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? You guys have been privileged, but others, everybody else, they'll have to believe without seeing. And blessed are those. And I believe God will help us do that. It's not like there's no, you know, like there's no evidence. We have the eyewitnesses of 500 people who saw him, uh, the resurrected Jesus. We have centuries of the work of God. We have the work of you know, when you open up your life to a relationship with Jesus, you realize he's not dead. He's alive. He's working in my life. We have all that, but it still takes a lot of faith to believe without seeing, especially when things come into our life that don't make sense. And, and we'll have unanswered questions and all that. So. So what do we do 
in that meantime, like Paul said, and now that we see through a kind of a cruddy mirror and we're trying to piece it together and one day he'll come back and we'll know it all. But in the meantime, we've got all these questions and doubts. And what do we do? How do we how do we do it in a way where we can grow? You know, our doubts can link us closer to God. And that's a great question. And for some of you, those may be your doubts, may be intellectual doubts. You you're investigating Christianity, or maybe you already are a Christian, but you've just got some big doubts about the whole thing, and you've got some really... And, and my guess is you have questions because they're probably really good questions. And some of those are resolvable, and some of those are more difficult to resolve, and so, you know, what do you do with those? Some of you in that category may be college students. Uh, maybe you're going to college here, or you're home from college, and you're kind of reeling a little bit because... For the first time, maybe your faith has been challenged in a pretty big way by some professor or something like that, because that happens. We have, you know, our universities are dominated by liberal thinkers. And so a lot of them see it as their job to deconstruct students thinking and worldview and all that to kind of open them up. And and uh, and since the dominant worldview in our in our particular culture has a lot of Christianity in it, they'll do that. And so they've raised some things like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You've got some big questions and. Don't be afraid of those. It's okay. Uh, a couple of things to keep in mind. One is their challenge to you and to your faith commitment is actually from their faith commitment. They may not admit it's a faith commitment, but they can't prove what they believe to be true about truth and epistemology and knowledge and uh, in God or not God. They can't prove that either. Um, and they're challenging what you believe, what your faith commitment also, keep in mind that, that nothing they're saying is new. I mean, it's, it's all stuff that, that has been said that a lot of people have worked through, and even professors at university who are Jesus followers who are just as smart as that one that's challenging your faith, they've worked through that kind of stuff and, and, uh, and have resolved that kind of stuff. And, it have, you know, they're, it's, and billions of people on the planet who are really smart and, and over the centuries have done that. So you don't have to freak out by it. But then, well, okay, positively, what do I do with it? Just hold that thought. The same thing is true for those where doubt is really about more personal stuff. Because of life circumstances or life experiences that don't add up, don't make sense, and and you're just left with some real doubt. How could God allow this? Why is this happening in my life? I don't get it. And I have these questions and doubts. I can't piece my life together. What do we do? Let's learn from our buddy Doubting Thomas. Keep moving forward. Don't allow doubt to cause you to get stuck. Or even think, I've got to resolve everything, and then I can move forward. Because you'll never move forward. This is a faith journey. Which means you say, you know what? I mean, it's a choice. I get it. It's a choice. I'm acting like I'm holding on to doubt, if that looks weird. I'm taking doubt, and I'm moving forward with it. And along the way, be authentic. And find a community of fellow People who are either on a faith journey or open to a faith journey who, is, or who, who allow you to be authentic and who are authentic too, and we can help each other. And if you're not in a group that's very authentic, the best way to deal with that is just be authentic and break the ice. And it'll either blow up the group and you can find another one, or it'll work. And all of a sudden people will be like, yeah, you know what, me too, me too, because they're all thinking it. And if you're a college student and you are having a trouble finding that at your college or university, email me, jjones at chaseoaks.org. Just email me 
and we'll help you find it because it's there um, at pretty much every university around the country. Um, there are Christ followers who, an authentic community who are on a faith journey and you're like, I don't know where they are. And we can, we can help find that for you. And then bring your doubts to Jesus. Just like Thomas did. And what did Jesus do? Jesus gave him what he needed. Come touch me. That's what you need. It's okay. It's all right. I'll give you what you need. I believe if you and I go to God with our doubts and with our questions and with our confusions. And we say, God, I I need you to give me what I need to keep moving forward. I, I believe he will. That doesn't mean he will give us necessarily what we want. Because what we want is resolution. Or what we want is all our questions answered. All our, you know, all our things that we don't understand explained or our life circumstances reversed. That'd be cool. And he can do that. But my guess is what he'll do is give us what we need, not necessarily what we want to keep moving forward with our questions and confusions and doubts. One of those things is faith. The Bible says that faith is actually a gift from God. It's not something that we muster, that we work up. Say, God, I need faith. I need you to give me faith because I don't have it right now. Or God, I need you to give me the assurance of your presence. I mean, Thomas could see you in the room. I can't see you in the room, but I need to know you're in my life. I need to know that you're in my world. I need to feel you. I need to know you. I need to sense you. Those kind of prayers I believe God would love to answer. And we're going to do that now. We're going to go to God with our doubts, with our questions, with our confusions. With a prayer similar to one that was in the New, another one in the New Testament that somebody gave to Jesus. And there's this guy who, it was about this person's child, and he says this to Jesus. This was his prayer. God, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's such a cool prayer, such a profound prayer, because that's a faith journey. It's God, I believe, I do, but I kind of don't. I'm struggling. I believe, help me where I'm struggling to believe. Help me where I don't believe. And Jesus heard that prayer and he says, now that is great faith. People who believe and can authentically come to God where they're struggling to believe. That's what he welcomes. And so let's bow our heads together in prayer. Prayer is just talking to God in our own words. And uh, and so let's talk to him. And I, I encourage you just to, in your own heart, just bring your questions, confusions, doubts, into the open with him. He knows anyway, but just say, God, you know what I'm struggling with. God, I I believe, I do. But help me where I don't believe. And Father, I thank you that you invite us to keep moving forward. You invite us to be authentic. And you invite us to come to you. And I ask right now, with all of these questions and doubts, that you would give all of us, because we all have doubts, I pray you give all of us what we need to keep moving forward. You give us faith. You give us patience. You would give us assurance. You would let us sense your presence in our life and in our circumstances. That you just keep pulling us forward. And I thank you that you will do that. And in this faith journey that you understand what it's like to be on a faith journey where doubt's part of, the, part of the package. And Father, we thank you that we can celebrate at Christmas and all of that. 
even while we have some confusions and doubts. And that you welcome that kind of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.